Currency. Welcome. My name is Mike Gaston and I am your host. Glad to have you guys along. As always, thanks for joining me. This is episode number 96. 96. It is September 5th, 2021, a Sunday afternoon. I can't believe that we're into September already. This year just flying by. I know it's a cliche. I know people say that all the time, but my goodness, how did we get here? You know, I'm in this kind of strange recording setup, and I think that this is going to be, uh, nope, this is the second, I was going to say the last one in this setup, this is the second to last. So as many of you know, we've left New York State a while back, we've moved down to the Charleston, South Carolina area, but we are not in our permanent home yet. We've gone through a multi-month process here of of, um, selling our house, eliminating a lot of our stuff, packing up the, the residual possessions that we want to take with us, bringing them down, putting them in storage. We've had a couple house deals uh, through the last handful of months, starting in May, that have fallen apart. Very, very aggressive market. And I never like negotiating from a position of weakness. I never like to negotiate from desperation. And so I've let, you know, so two deals have fallen apart because uh, it just wasn't going the way I liked. And I thought, you know, I'm willing to walk away. So we did that. Uh, We got down here, put all our stuff in storage, and we've been in this temporary setup. It's an Airbnb cottage. Um, I've made comments before, I think, on the podcast. Uh, the the woman running the Airbnb, lovely human being. Um, <laughs> but the actual cottage itself, well, that's a bit of a challenge. Uh, if you could see me right now, and this isn't any fault of the cottage, the cottage itself is just, the whole situation is very exhausting. We'll just say that. And We've been in this situation for well over two months now. We came down towards the end of June. Here we are at the beginning of September. Now, we only have a couple more weeks. Uh, on September 15th, so about 10 more days, we do close on a house. And and that deal is rock solid. I mean, look, nothing's ever done until it's closed, until the, you know, all the paperwork is signed and done. But all the, all the hurdles have been overcome. The finances approved, all the documentation, the inspections, all the stuff that goes along with a house purchase. That's all happened. So now we're just waiting. And we've been waiting because the sellers needed extra time. They're buying a house that they needed to do some renovations on. And we said, okay, so it's been a bit of a long haul. So here we are about 10 days out, just under 10 days out from our new home. I typically record this podcast on the weekends, so usually on a Sunday. So I've got this Sunday with the temporary setup, one more weekend, this coming Sunday with the temporary setup, and then... We get into our house and I'm able to get the studio set up, which I'm really excited about. But if you could see me right now, I'm sitting in the bedroom. There's a little wooden pedestal. I've got the microphone. I've got my laptop. I mean, this pedestal is barely uh, a foot and a half square. So I mean, I've got that, those two things. And I've got a Negroni sitting precariously on the edge of this pedestal. Then wired off to my right is the uh, digital audio interface. Uh, I've got my... I've got my uh, iPad uh, for for reference for documents. I mean, it's it's kind of a funny little setup, and I do it temporarily. I mean, set it all up. We do the podcast, and I break it all down. So I'm looking forward. I'm just looking forward to getting into our home and starting to get a little bit more routine and permanence and set things up in a way that make it a lot easier to get work done. I'm exhausted, and I don't mean physically uh, tired. I mean, you get that. That's normal for any move. But there's like a mental and emotional stress that comes along with this process. I mean, not only did we leave behind, you know, decades of our life in New York State, all of our friends and family and the people that we love, and uh, some of the people that we didn't love so much, but we still, you know, they're part of our life, and you leave all that behind, 
and you got nothing. I mean, you come to a new place, everything is new. The sights, the sounds, the smells, the flora, the fauna, everything, the, the accents, the stores. And it's exhausting, you know, you, especially when you're in a position where you can't send your roots down. So looking forward to that. You don't need to worry about all that stuff. I'm just sharing with you that uh, I'm kind of getting a chuckle out of the fact that here I am early September sitting in some strange bedroom uh, just outside of Charleston <laughs> in a temporary setup with my mic and laptop uh, cranking out these podcasts. I love doing it. I love these podcasts. Today, I want to talk a little bit about the hemispheres of the brain and how the left hemisphere and the right hemisphere operate. And I think how the left hemisphere is having uh, a very, what I think is potentially a very interesting uh, impact on how we're living right now and specifically how we're responding to the crises before us, things like uh, at the Afghanistan situation, things like COVID-19. Before I get into that, before we talk about brain stuff, I want to follow up to a comment I made in the last episode. If you remember, we were talking about science and I was breaking down the various uh, things that people mean when they say they trust the science. And I was kind of riffing or haranguing on the institution of science in one segment. And I said, hey, you've got these, uh, the institution of science cannot be trusted. These are human beings with, you know, various um, problems and weaknesses and appetites and desires and various interests. It's not always this kind of cold calculating scientific pursuit of knowledge. And I made the assertion, the assertion rather, that uh, is assertion even a word? I made the assertion that I believe that they injected radioactive material into people uh, at the U of R, at the University of Rochester, the city that I'm from, uh, back in the 40s. And these people didn't even know about it. They, they, they poisoned them with the radioactive material and then measured the effects. But I said, you know, I think this has happened. I'm pretty sure, but I don't have any details. If any listener out there knows more about this, please, could you confirm this or maybe correct me if I'm wrong? Well, long time listener to the show, but even more so, one of my close buddies, one of my best buddies, David Danglis. Dave got in touch. Uh, he, he listens to the podcast and he said, hey, uh, I, I looked it up. Now, he sent me a couple links. I'm going to share the links in the show notes to, to that episode, which is at my website, just mikegaston.com forward slash the currency 095. It was last episode, episode number 95. I'll put the links down in there. There's one specifically to the LA Times, but Dave also had a stack of uh, Buffalo newspapers, the Buffalo Art Voice. He had hard copies, and one from June 2001 uh, had an article on this. And so he snipped a little section there. And I just want to read a couple things to you real quick from that, from that snippet. And this just kind of verifies this program that we're talking about. So I'll just read this real quick. In September 1945, a program of plutonium injections began at a secret research facility at the University of Rochester called the Manhattan Annex. The annex, with army guards posted at its entrances, were across the street from the medical school and connected to it by a tunnel. Colonel Stafford Warren, the head of the Manhattan Project's medical section experimental division, had been a professor of radiology at the University of Rochester before being tapped for the Manhattan Project and catapulted to the rank of colonel. So it was perhaps natural that he should choose Rochester as the site for human radiation experiments. A variety of elements brought the subjects into the hospital from hemophilia to heart attack to cancer. The experimenters tended to choose patients 
who might stay in the hospital for a while or who return there frequently so the effects of the plutonium injections could be tracked. Some patients lived for decades after being injected. Others died within days. Autopsies were performed on all the patients. Their bones and organs were harvested and studied so scientists could determine the rate at which plutonium deposited itself in the human body. In some cases, it's easy to suppose that the plutonium directly contributed to their deaths. You come into the hospital with a chronic but not life-threatening illness, you are injected with plutonium, and six days later you die. In other cases, it's difficult to prove what the effects of plutonium might have had. A subject who dies 10 years later of heart disease, well, radiation causes heart disease, but so does smoking, and maybe the subject was predisposed to heart disease before the plutonium began wreaking havoc on his body. 11 patients were injected with plutonium at Rochester's Manhattan, at Rochester's Manhattan Annex, all without giving informed consent. The last in July of 1946. Numerous others were injected with radioactive isotopes of other substances, again, without informed consent. So there you go. Not only is that the institution of science, but that is science, uh, the institution of science, along with the institution of government. This is government-sponsored, government-funded, government-directed science that is taking advantage of the people that it is supposed to care for. Now, what doesn't show up in this article, but my understanding was a lot of these people were African-Americans. These were black people that they were doing this to. And it's just horrible. So as we go back to this whole concept of science, my argument earlier was just that the institution of science is not necessarily a trustworthy institution. Why? Because it's full of human beings. Any institution with human beings needs to be held accountable in various ways. You don't just trust it. I'm sorry. In, in you know, call me a horrible person. You don't just trust the church. You don't just, just trust educators. You don't just trust the government. That's, you don't do those things. We know savvy people, intellectually honest people know and admit to themselves that any human institution has a mix of people. And some of them are, some of them are altruistic. Some of them are uh, incentivized, but for good reasons. Some of them, you know, have, have bad ideas and so are misguided and some are outright evil. They're doing horrible things for horrible reasons. And the, you know, the, the, the person with an average intelligence that's just thinking for a moment that isn't so partisan, that isn't so brainwashed, would say, yeah, that, that makes sense. I, I know when you have a group of people, you can get a mix. And when you get a mix, anything can happen. And so here's an example of an institution, specifically science as an institution, the Academy of Science, if you will, doing horrible things to human beings, and they didn't even know. And we talk about what the Nazis did uh, in their, you know, medical experimentation on human beings, just, just butchery, just horrific. But I don't know how this is any better. Of course, the scale is much lower. Uh, but still, to do that to someone is just immoral. And, and so here we are. Anyway, I want to close that loop. So Dave, thanks again for providing that information. If any of you wondered about that, now you know. Tell your friends. So let's get into today's discussion. I want to talk again about the brain brain stuff. I've been reading this book by Ian McGilchrist called The Master and His Emissary. And to be honest, the book is, well, it's work. It's an uphill battle. It's a 400 plus page book, which isn't outrageous, but it's, it's quite dense, very dense. I think it was written in the, you know, I want to say like 2009, it was published. I could be wrong, but somewhere around there, book came out somewhere around there. And I first heard McGilchrist on the Econ Talk podcast, Russ Roberts' phenomenal podcast. I've been listening to that thing for 
probably almost since it's been out. I don't, I didn't, I wasn't like there at the very beginning, but golly, I was there at the early days. And, um, Russ always brings people on. It's typically economics oriented, but you know, often it gets into things like philosophy and sociology and so on. Fascinating podcast. Russ is a great host and he has wonderful guests on. And McGill Chris just caught my uh, imagination. He was captivating. He's this classic kind of, uh, and I don't know if he's a Cambridge man or an Oxford man, but he's got that classic uh, British, English, um, you know, Oxford, you know, almost absent-minded professor, just wonderful to listen to, super smart, uh, winsome, easy to listen to, et cetera. So McGill Chris is making the argument in this book that you've got two hemispheres of the brain. Now, there's no argument there. We know that. But he's making the argument that that one hemisphere should be dominant, and one should be the master, and the other should be its emissary. That the, that the hemispheres, and, and if you, you know, I, he's a psychologist or maybe a psychiatrist, I can't remember, and a neurologist. He's got multiple degrees, but he's, you know, his discipline is in, in the brain and the effects of the brain on the human individual behaviors and so on. You've got the two hemispheres kind of behaving differently, and they each see the world differently, and they're actually opposed to each other. They, they don't necessarily work together. They kind of do, but they work independently, and they hand information back and forth. They take different kinds of tasks and, and roles on for themselves, and and they tend to—they're not, they're not each hostile to one another, but the left tends to pretend that the, the right doesn't exist. And, and so it's fascinating. So the first half of this book, and I'm just at the halfway mark, but the first half of this book is like a deep dive into neurology and in a study, a scientific study of the brain. And he makes a case sharing studies and results and experiments and so on that, that the right side of the brain is really about context and big picture. The right side of the brain is about the whole. The right side of the brain is always about new things. You see a new thing, you're in a new experience. You know, I, I talked about being down here in South Carolina. It's all new. You know, you're looking around, the trees are different, the smells are different, the insects at night as you go walk your dog, the sounds, everything's so different. And you're taking all that in. That's the right side of your brain. When there's a new thing happening, you're looking at this experience, you're looking at the whole. The right side of the brain tends to see the whole of the person. You know, it, it's not just looking at eyes or a mouth. It, it sees this person. Uh, and, and, and so the, the right side of the brain is always about context, and it's about holistic, contextual, uh, big picture. Whereas the left side of the brain tends to be super analytical. It's, it's, it decontextualizes things. It deconstructs them. It breaks them down into their constituent parts. It abstracts them. It takes them out of their context and, and breaks things down into their little parts. And these little parts are kind of standalone. And then it wants to categorize those parts. So the left side of the brain is often trying to break things down, categorize them, understand them, and, and create systems and in, in rationality. And now the left side of the brain is also responsible for language. This is where the language center tends to be. Now, that's not necessarily to say that the left side of the brain is where thinking originates, but where the communication of ideas comes from, the communicative uh, exercise or, or behavior or process, that's the left side of the brain, language. And so these two sides are supposed to work together. Now, McGill, Chris, his position is that the right side of the brain should be the master and that the left side should be the emissary, that the, the right side takes something in, in its whole. As it takes it in, 
It tries to, you know, build a context and so on. It has this beautiful picture. It then hands it over to the left side, where the left side will then take it and unpack that picture that, that the right side has gained. Here's a big thing of context, hand it over, and the left side kind of decomposes this thing into parts so that it can unpack it. And, and then once it's done this, in theory, it's supposed to then hand it back over to the right side. So the right side now has this context, but the context is richer. There's more information in the context and it, and it makes sense. So often the left will help with sense making. Uh, it can't do it by itself, but it, but it unpacks that, that picture that the right side gets and I don't, when I say picture, I don't just mean image. I mean like you're taking something in. The left side will decompose it and and try to systematize and categorize so that you can grasp the thing, so that you can understand it. But it has to hand it back to the right side because if it decomposes, there's no context and you can't understand something without its true context. You can't grasp it without it being part of a whole. I can show you a blood cell. And you look at this and go, it's just a blob. I don't understand what that is. You wouldn't, you wouldn't infer from that that that's a human being. It's a blood cell. It's a human blood cell. But you wouldn't look at that and go, oh, yeah. You need it to be part of a bigger picture to understand, oh, that's part of the circulatory system of a human being. And that blood cell has a very important job. It has to, you know, it has to bring oxygen and it is all the stuff that the blood cell does. You you wouldn't understand that about the blood cell without the context within which it is situated or should be situated. But you can abstract that thing and just go, that's a blood cell. And it's so many, you know, I'm going to say microns. I don't know how big a blood cell is. They're, you know, microscopic. Uh, it's so many microns. It's composed of this protein and that electron. And you can, you can state the details about it, but that doesn't necessarily define what it is. You're just stating facts about it. You need that context from the right side of the brain, the right hemisphere, so that the thing has meaning. So what's very interesting here is that McGilchrist makes the argument that he feels that uh, the modern world with its, with its kind of current focuses, and we'll get into that, and I don't mean current meaning just in the last few years, but over the last couple hundred years is we're living the results of the gr ever-growing impact of the Enlightenment and the techno technological scientific world the rational world, that the left hemisphere is usurping its position, that it doesn't want to acknowledge the existence of the right hemisphere, and that it's, and that it, it, it's becoming stronger and stronger to the point where the right hemisphere is being pushed out of the way. McGilchrist makes the argument in the second half of the book. He, he tells you ahead of time, I'm going to make this argument. I haven't, I'm only halfway through. But he, he says, I'm going to make the argument that this usurpation you know, has happened and, and what are the effects of it and what can we do about it? As McGilchrist is wrapping up the last few pages of that last chapter before he gets into the second half of the book where he gets more into his philosophical and observational arguments, uh, he quote something that I just think is fascinating. And I want to read that to you. I guess I'm reading some quotes, huh? Uh, but let's just read a quick paragraph to you. And I want to unpack that because I think it has a lot of meaning for where we are today. It, has, it provides some insight. He says on page 228 of The Master and His Emissary, the left hemisphere builds systems where the right does not. 
It therefore allows elaboration of its own working over time into systematic thought, which gives it permanence and solidity. And I believe these have even become instantiated in the external world around us, inevitably giving it a massive advantage. What McGilchrist is saying there is that because the left hemisphere is more systematic in its approach, everything that it sees, it tries to break down, to categorize, and put into some type of system. And because of that, it's always looking at the world this way. It's always creating systems. It's always creating categories. It's always breaking things down and trying to order and organize them in a rational, logical way that it can understand. Because it works this way, it over time creates external systems in the modern physical world in which we live. Think about it. I mean, think about roadways and traffic signage. There's a system for you. Think about how most people are formally educated. They go through a system. Think about that slab of silicon that everyone is looking at. It's, a, it's, it's system layered upon system upon system, but it's all systems. What button do I click? How do I get this to enlarge? How do I swipe this? How do I forward this? How do I share this? How do I, you know, it's all systematized. A lot of the world that we interact with, the modern experience of life is mediated through systems, systems that we have created. Now, McGilchrist isn't saying that systems are evil and he's not arguing that these are bad and we have to undo them. I don't, I don't think that he's kind of a modern romantic, some type of Rousseau that wants to argue that we you know, should run uh, wild through the, the woods and embrace our animal passions, and that's going to be the savior of mankind. No, this, this guy's a scientist. He's, he's, he's a left-brain guy in many ways. But I think the argument he's trying to make is that the left gains an upper hand because as it creates mental systems, those mental systems result in physical systems. And the more physical systems that we add to the world in which we live— the more our world in which we live plays to the strengths of the left hemisphere. And so the left hemisphere grows in strength, whereas the right diminishes. It doesn't, it's not, the right isn't operating in a systematic world. It can't, it doesn't know how to. The right is creative, artistic, holistic, often music uh, emotive things come from the right hemisphere. Sometimes they have to be handed over to the left for articulation. This is where a lot of thought happens on the right, in the right hemisphere, and yet it has to be handed over to the left hemisphere to be articulated. The, the right hemisphere is actually mute. People that have uh, certain types of injuries to the left hemisphere where they're really relying on their right hemisphere struggle to communicate. Now, now the right can pick up some of this the tasks, but, but they're unable to communicate. The right hemisphere is mute. It can't talk. It doesn't have language. Whereas the left owns language. It's where we articulate our thoughts. What's interesting about all this for me, uh, as I think through this and what I think is maybe relevant to us here is that there are certain characteristics of the left hemisphere that when you look at them in relation to the situation we find ourselves in now, it explains a lot. So specifically, two things come to mind. The first thing is that the left hemisphere can't do context. 
it, it doesn't see the whole. People that have had injuries to their right hemisphere, they have lesions on the right hemisphere of their brain, they're relying on their left hemisphere. They struggle to even look at a face in context, to see the whole face in context, to understand, is someone smiling at me or are they sneering at me? Now, you and I with healthy brains, we can look at something, uh, someone smiling at us, and we go, oh, that's a smile. And how do you know that? It's not just the mouth and the teeth that are showing, because that could be a grimace, that could be a sneer, that could be a snarl. But we're looking at things like nostrils. We're looking at things like eyes and eyebrows and creases on the forehead and the cheeks. We're looking at the whole face. We might be looking at other elements of the person's body. We're looking contextually at that person before us and we go, that woman is smiling at me. Now, there's a phrase I don't say too often. (laughs) That woman is smiling at me. Whereas someone that has damage, injury to the right hemisphere, they will see someone smiling and they'll look and they, they see the the lips, they see the teeth, but they're not looking at the whole face. They can't see those things in context of the whole. And they're, they're looking, going, they don't know if they're being smiled at. They don't know if they're being sneered at. This is why sometimes you see autistic people, you know, you tell them to smile and, and someone on the spectrum, when they, they make the most painfully, just painful smiles, you look at them and they, they look like they're in pain. It's like the smile, but it hurts. It's like, ah, this is because they don't have a good image of themselves. The, the, the left hemisphere is not really in touch with the body. It's the right hemisphere that has an image of the body as a whole that understands the body as part of the person, whereas the left hemisphere, the people often feel alienated from their bodies and they think of the body as this kind of external thing. They're not sure what to do with it. Now, I didn't. Uh, I did not stay at a Holiday Inn, and I and I don't want to play a doctor on television. So I don't want to get too far down the road here making prognostications about uh, you know we're going to discover soon um, prognoses. Rather, I don't want to make prognoses about uh, why autism is what it is or Asperger's and all that. But the point being, people struggle. Uh, when they've had damage to the right hemisphere, when they're relying on their left hemisphere to see things in context, and that's just a great example. It's all kinds of studies, medical, clinical studies on that, uh, that, that back that up. So the first thing is the left hemisphere relies on the right hemisphere of context. It can't do context. It just can't see things in context. So it gets all this information. It has data points and so on, but it gets these things and it can't easily put them into context. Now it does create systems, but it doesn't have context. The second thing is that the left hemisphere has such a power of focus. It can zero in on something and this is how it breaks things down. It uses its power of focus, its attention to a, to a minuscule thing, to unpack it, to understand it, to grasp it. And so this is where the left hemisphere really shines. It comes in and it can just really dial in. Now, when it does that, it does that at the expense of seeing other things. It can be so focused on a thing that it can't see anything else. Maybe you remember back in, I don't know, was it like 2009? I don't remember when it first came out, but there was uh, a famous study done and I remember the video was going around and I felt, I felt actually, I think it was before then. It was well before then, early 2000s. There was a study done uh, and essentially it said there were, you know, it showed you there were two people. There was a, a people wearing black shirts and people wearing white shirts and it said, you, and they're holding a basketball and it said, you've got to count how many times the, the white team passes the ball. And I think there were multiple basketballs. 
And then, so you focus and, and these people are kind of moving, weaving in and out of each other. There's like eight or 10 people and they're bouncing and passing multiple balls back and forth. And you're just like trying to count. You're trying to count. You're trying to, you want, you want to get it right. These things are fun. We do these tests. And at the end it says, okay, the white team passed the basketball 15 times. And you're like, oh, you know, I got it or I missed it by whatever. And then the screen says, but did you see the gorilla? And you're like, what? The gorilla? What are you talking about? The gorilla? And then it backs up the tape and it shows it. And as you're watching, uh, this guy in a hideous gorilla suit kind of saunters through the frame. It stops in the middle and beats his chest and waves the camera and then just saunters off uh, exit stage left. And you're like, what just happened? How did I miss that? But that's an example of the left hemisphere's ability to focus. It focuses so much on a task so much on understanding something that it can miss things that are right in front of it. And I think that video at the end said 50% of the people don't see the gorilla. And so this tells you, I mean, it's not like 100%. And maybe you remember this. And maybe you did it and you saw the gorilla the first time. I did it. I never saw the gorilla. I can't believe it. Like I'm, I pride myself in noticing things. But, you know, I was so focused on the task. uh, I was not expecting to see a gorilla. And uh, because it's so focused on the task, I never saw it. And, and, and it was explicit. It's not like they hid the gorilla. It was right there. So fascinating experiment, but just to prove the point that the left hemisphere will miss things. It focuses so much that it'll miss things. So what happens is kind of interesting. The left hemisphere can be so focused it'll miss things. But the other thing, you know, if we go back to that first issue that I talked about, that it, it um, doesn't have context. When the left hemisphere creates a system, so it tries to understand something, it, it will be decontextualized, it will be abstract, it'll be conceptual, but it will develop a kind of framework. I'll say, okay, I've, I've unpacked this thing, I've broken it down, I got it. I understand how this thing works. It knows the mechanics of it. So it puts together kind of a systematic approach or understanding or view, it categorizes and so on. When it does that and it is confronted with conflicting information later on, let's say something pops up that then challenges the system that the left hemisphere has put together, it rejects it. It just outright ignores it. It can't see that thing that challenges its system, its belief system, its its categorizations. It can't do it. So when you think about the left hemisphere And it's ascendancy in our society. This idea that as we create more systems, the left hemisphere becomes more dominant because the world around us becomes more of a left hemisphere oriented world. And the way that we experience life, the way that the the day-to-day life, the experience of living is mediated is through these systems. You and I And the left hemispheres of our brains become more and more necessary, more and more muscular. And we can lose the rigor and and the input of the right hemisphere. And what happens is this left hemisphere begins to usurp its role and it becomes, it thinks, the master. But think about that. If you've got a society of people running around with with the left hemisphere as the master, meaning their abstracted, they are categorized, systematized, non-contextualized, and can't see things that are right in front of them, can't accept things that go against the system that they have constructed for themselves in their minds. What do you get? 
What do you get? I mean, it's stunning. I mean, this for me explains how a virus with a crude mortality rate of 0.09% for people under 65 years of age, that means 0.09%, percent not 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09% 0.09
If you want to protect yourself from being manipulated, being lied to, then as soon as you see this, you got it. You got to shut that stuff off because they are lying to you. But this left hemisphere dominance for me explains how these global corporations with no legal liability whatsoever can foist this experimental injection upon society without anybody pushing back. Everyone's just like, oh my gosh, we got to do it. They, they can't see the other opportunities. There are prophylactics, there are therapeutics, all kinds of stuff. I'm not, by the way, anti-jab. You want to get the jab? Go get it. I, I have family members, friends. You're going to get the jab? Get the jab. The problem I'm having is society's gone so bonkers that we're talking right now about Nazi Germany type restrictions. If you don't get the jab, you don't get to participate in society. You don't get the jab, you don't get to go to a restaurant. You don't get the jab, you lose your bank account. You don't get the jab, you don't get to travel within the country. You can't cross borders, you can't fly. Because why? Because you're killing people. Oh, you're so selfish. You have to take this global multi-billion dollar business with a giant Washington, D.C. lobby. You have to take the experimental jab so so that you're allowed to participate. You have to violate your conscience and you have to violate the sanctity of your own body. We're right back to the U of R, inject you with radioactive. You go, oh, but Mike, they didn't have, they, they, they weren't, they didn't give informed consent. I'm sorry, informed consent is not forcing someone to take a jab. It's not, informed consent is not, you're not allowed to participate in society. That's called coercion. And, and I'll go back to what's more important. What was the crude mortality rate that I just read to you a moment ago? And if you don't believe me, go look it up. The crude mortality rate is 0.09% for people under 65 years of age. So this left brain ascendancy, this left brain dominance explains how people can be so nuts for something that doesn't make any sense. It explains how large segments of our society are insisting that those who do not get the injection be cut out of society, barred from shopping, driving, public transport, even denied basic and emergency medical care. There are stories right now where they're turning people away. If you haven't had the injection, but you're at the emergency room dying, they will turn you away. It's happening. I'm reading the stories and I'm not reading them on right wing crazy uh, conspiracy websites, kids. It's on CNN. People are being denied the basic rudiments of society for what? Because we are so blinded to what's right in front of us. Why is this? Because our, our society is potentially becoming so systematized that we are losing the ability to have context, to see things in the whole. We seem to have lost the ability to accept any information that challenges what we believe to be true. There are all kinds of data points. We've talked about the science before, all kinds of data points that, that explain our true situation. No, children are not dying at a terrible rate by COVID. No, the hospitals are not overwhelmed by COVID. When you see those articles, read the whole article. When you see the articles about COVID and hospitals having to turn people away and people dying on the, on the waiting room floors, read deeper in and you'll see what's going on. You get deep enough and you realize they're understaffed. Now, why are the hospitals understaffed right now? They're understaffed because, well, first of all, 
we incentivize everybody to stay home. And a lot of people after being locked down are like, screw it, I'm not going back to work. Secondly, uh, we're throwing all kinds of money at people. Another reason they don't want to go to work. Thirdly, uh, the hospitals laid a lot of people off when COVID hit. They laid a lot of people off. They stopped all the elective surgeries. They said, we're only going to do COVID. Well, they didn't need everybody for COVID. They let everybody go home. A lot of people said, I'm not coming back. And they can't staff back up again. Half these hospitals are shut down. And now add insult to injury. A third of the nurses out there don't want to get the jab. Do you know that? A third of the nurses. So last year's, last month's heroes are now being shit canned because they don't want to get the jab. Why is it that a nurse would not want to get the jab? Aren't they at the heart of all this? Don't they see the wonderful stories of how great the jab is? Maybe they're seeing something that they're not comfortable with. I'm seeing verified story after story of someone, I'm so proud to get the jab. And then I'm sorry, Susie died. She died three weeks later. She died a month later. You know, right now, even the CDC is refusing to count someone who's had the vax and dies before 12 days as having been vaccinated. They're saying we're only counting people truly vaccinated 12 days after the vax. So what happens is if somebody dies of COVID, oh, that they were unvaxed. Well, you dig a little deeper. They were actually vaxed, but they died before the 12-day mark. So they're being marked as un... They're being notated, written down as recorded. <laughs> Struggling here. Come on, left hemisphere. Help me out, baby. Uh, they're being recorded as an unvaccinated individual. That's a total lie. What good is the data, quote unquote, if it's not true? This is the danger of our postmodern will make our own truth. This is the danger of I'll do whatever it takes, this Machiavellian, do whatever it takes, the ends justify the means. Oh, it's so important that people get vaccinated will lie to them. It's so important that they that they don't use up the masks will lie to them. Oh, now it's so important that they use the, the mask that will lie to them. Don't you ever get sick of being manipulated and lied to? I know I am. So this master and his emissary, this concept that, that the left hemisphere of the brain is usurping the right, I think explains a few things here. Maybe it doesn't explain everything. There is mass hysteria. There is fear. You know, someone drowning in the water, you don't jump in to help them because they will pull you under. Their people are terrified. We've, we have invoked fear and we've kind of, we've ginned it up by not letting people socialize and interact and blow off steam and go to sporting events. But there's something else going on here. How can it be that people can look directly at something and not see it? It seems to me like they're refusing to, like they're just so partisan. It's like, I just love Joe Biden so much. I refuse to see anything bad he does. I think there's something in there. People are pretty schmucky. None of us like to admit that we're wrong. There's a lot of pride and so on. I get that. Hey, I, I live it. I get it. But I think there's something else going on that we can't seem to see things that are right in front of us. And, I, and, I, and I'm wondering how much of this has to do with the dominance, the rising dominance of not only the less left hemisphere of our brain, but like the structure of our society that is ordered and structured around the systematic systematic way of living. Systems are good. They've allowed us to do amazing things. But I'm asking the question, at what cost? And I have to imagine if you're a thinking, feeling, living human being, and you're looking around you, you have to wonder, at what cost? You're looking at the society that we're living in, and you're saying, you know, this is all great, but at what cost? 
I don't know a human being right now that can't ask the question at what cost. Now, there are people that are so inured to their consumption, so inured to their pleasure, so inured to their self-centered little lives. And there's a, there's a, unfortunately, there's lots of these people in our society now. We've based America on individualism and now we've gotten the ultimate individual. Now, before we could, we could, we could contextualize that individual in some deeper shared values, sacrifice, honor, justice, and so on. We become such a consumer society that people are just so self-centered and it's, it's like, how dare you question it? It's immoral to question someone's self-centeredness. So when you're sitting in a society that's so left-brained, so systematic, so detached from context, from the bigger picture, so unable to see what's right in front of it, so unwilling, unable to see conflicting information, it becomes a lot easier to understand why people are behaving this way. I would encourage you, if you catch yourself, you know, like you want to see the truth, but you keep getting pulled back into the narrative, the popular narrative, I would encourage you to fight that urge to start thinking about uh, context Start looking at the bigger picture. Don't skim headlines. I was talking to a buddy, Mike. Mike's probably listening. You know, these headlines are terrible. Like headlines are designed to pull you in. I think a lot of us are getting our news from the headlines these days. We don't even read the full article. And if you're just skimming headlines, my God, the world is really a bad place. But if you read deeper in these articles, it's never quite what they say it is. It's never quite what you would infer from the headline. And so I want to encourage you, go deeper, fight, fight to develop context, fight to develop your own picture of the world. I don't mean your own truth. I mean, fight to develop it yourself. Don't just let someone hand you context. Don't just let them hand you a picture. You see a headline, go a little deeper, fight against the structures and the systems and the categories that you've created for yourself. Especially if you're living in fear. Look, if you've got peace, if you, if you feel you've got joy, you've got security, you have a sense of your place in this world, you're not worried about everything, you're, you're ready to face death if necessary, but you're also willing to live the truth regardless of the consequences, then you're good, man. You're drawing from a deeper well. But if you're struggling, if you're wrestling with fear, if you're terrified, if you're worried about losing your life, if you're worried about losing your comforts, I would challenge you to have courage and to start building a bigger picture of the world that you live in. Stop looking within. Stop looking to your own comfort and understand the context within which you are living. It's liberating. We need the left side of our minds, our brains. We need that ability to focus, to deconstruct, to understand a thing. We've got to get that understanding back to the right side so that it can be contextualized so that we can have a richer, more meaningful and useful picture of the world and where we are in it. Guys, I want the best for you. I want the best life. I want success. I want health. But most of all, I want you to be able to live life on your own terms. I want you to be free. Now, thank you for listening today always open to conversations. Get in touch any way you feel you like. You can go to my website. You can sign up for my newsletter. There's a sign up page there. 
You can also email me. There's a form there. You can uh, connect with me on LinkedIn and a number of other places. Love it when you get in touch. So please do let me know what you think. If you agree, disagree, I'm always up for a good conversation. In the meantime, have courage and know that I love you all. I'll catch you in the next episode. Thank you.